This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another week, another episode of the official podcast of Minor League Baseball arriving in your ear canals, bouncing through the tunnels of your brain off your eardrums into your cerebral cortex i don't know how hearing works uh but along with sam dykstra and benjamin hill in new york city my name is tyler mon can either of you give a better description of how hearing works no i i should say this is not an audiology podcast we're gonna so, just start playing those little yeah we you are definitely not experts on that. how sound works. Although I, that made me think, Tyler, because I, I did a race over the weekend and I saw a lot of people wearing these these new over-the-ear headphones that don't go yeah. in the ear. Yeah. I think they work off vibration. Again, not an expert. I have no idea. I've been meaning to look this up. I think they like work on vibrations. So they send essentially send the sound through your skull almost. I don't know. I'm Wait, what? Oh, those I don't think I've seen at all. Because there's no earpiece to them. They go over the ear. Oh, we are living they in the future. They don't go in the ear. So, like, I think you use them to to run in so you can still hear the environment around. Like, if you hear a huh. car coming up behind you or something, you can still hear that. But it's still coming. To, it's very confusing. Somebody email us, podcast at MILB.com, yeah. and explain what is happening. With Get those. in the comments on how yeah. these things work, because I'm yeah. very, very interested. Please let us know. Ben, what's going on? How are you? Yeah, I, I prefer not to think about such things. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, even in a society that's increasingly secular i just feel like we're surrounded by miracles at all times and things we truly cannot fathom or understand so i just try to live in the unknowing and um, and just embrace the fact that i will never know and don't need to know and it's a miracle to be alive and to experience the gift of sound and the gift of speech and any sense that that, that we're privy to is a gift well we have peaked um like two minutes and 30 seconds into this week's episode of the show before the show because we're not going to get any more poignant than that um but i agree that's a good way to uh to approach things and we welcome you into this week's official episode of official episode uh this week's episode of the official podcast of minor league baseball um just in case you guys were wondering we just got an email uh with the subject line question for ct tigers the connecticut tigers have not existed for four years now we at podcast and milb.com we continue to get emails for the connecticut tigers who had briefly been rebranded as the norwich sea navigators correct uh no norwich sea unicorns uh and then they didn't play the pandemic season and and that franchise has gone away i don't I, I want to know the spam email infrastructure that has enabled us to be like the official contact for the the ghost of the Connecticut Tigers franchise. But uh, if our company is bogged down by a lot of phone calls, uh, Pearsona Barshell um, facilitates thousands of companies like CT Tigers to pick up calls and stop missing opportunities. So why are you giving away free ads, Tyler? That's not a real person. They hadn't been paying us for this. <laughs> That's not a person. I didn't tell him what the what the name of the company is. It's a Gmail email address. Come on. 
Come on. I thought you Pierce gave away Sona. the company. I thought, I thought you were saying so-and-so could handle all your needs. On no, that's, yeah. I think that's supposed to be the person's name. The, the, the obviously very real and existing person who does all of the legwork to know that the Connecticut Tigers need help with their overwhelming phone call problem right now. It's, but I, I do want to say the Norwich Sea Unicorns. Um, yeah, they, they, they rebranded as such when they were still an affiliated team in the uh, New York Penn league, but they are still an active entity now in the, uh, what is it again? It's the uh, Futures Futures Collegiate Baseball League. So you can still go to Dodd Stadium and see the Sea Unicorns, who formerly were the Connecticut Tigers, and uh, still see baseball there. And um, I'd, I'd recommend it. I'd love to go back there sometime. I enjoyed my one day in Norwich, Connecticut. I am a little bummed that I didn't jump on the only team that I jumped on that rebranded uh, sort of into the abyss. Um, the teams that rebranded 2019 into 2020 didn't get to play a 2020 season and then uh, were removed from their affiliated status. Uh, there were a handful of those. The only team that I got uh, a hat from is the Missoula Paddleheads, who still exist, but they're not an affiliated team anymore. But yeah, the the Sea Unicorns. I'm really disappointed uh, I didn't get a, a new era hat from the Rocky Mountain Vibes for their uh Yoronia's um Copa identity. Uh they sold out of those lightning quick and then now being part of the the Pioneer League, which is a partner league and not an affiliated league. They don't have new era anymore. I'm a little bummed about that. This is just gonna be the whole episode is just us vamping on random minor league baseball topics of years past. I can already see Sam grinding his teeth. I'm not grinding my teeth. I'm just laughing because before <laughs> we were doing this, we were going through the archives of like guys we talked we to were. in the past. So it's just remembering some teams and remembering some guys this week. <laughs> remembering some teams and remembering some dudes. <laughs> it's a good way to kick off uh, this week's episode of the show. We have had some dudes on this podcast, though. I was looking back uh, through our archives and the people that we have had on this show. We've had some very fun prospect talent and now guys who are just stars across the game of major league baseball. And that's pretty cool. And uh, as we welcome in, you can get in touch with us podcast at MILB.com. You can of course find us on Twitter as well at Ben's biz at Sam Dykes or MILB and at Tyler Mon. And uh, with that, let's dive in. Let's kick things off for real on this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, Ben's got all kinds of good stuff from road trips and everything else uh, coming to the sites as of right now and has a great story uh, in the works about a baseball player who is uh, very well named because of his travels throughout baseball, uh, and that is the aptly named first baseman Mike Ford, uh, a product of Princeton University, Mike Ford, who is a guy who has been in the professional ranks uh, in Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball for quite some time now. He made his pro debut all the way back in uh, 2013 with the then Staten Island Yankees of the then New York Penn League. Um, but man, he has been, he has seen some things across the uh, the world of baseball, Ben. Yeah, he's one of the uh, stories that I wrote after visiting Tacoma, uh, Cheney Stadium, home of the Tacoma Rainiers. Mike Ford, he's 30 years old now. Um, yeah, as Tyler said, he's been around. He's, he's logged some major league time, you know, with the Yankees. Um, and with a bunch of other teams, because last year, and this is why I interviewed him in Tacoma, he started 2022 as a member of the Mariners organization and started 2022 with the Tacoma Rainiers. One year later, member of the Mariners organization playing for the Tacoma Rainiers. If you're not paying attention, you're just like, okay, this is a guy in the Mariners organization, a veteran bat, uh, who's getting a lot of playing time at AAA. Except he started last season with the Tacoma Rainiers. Got called up to Seattle, 
got traded to the Giants, played for the San Francisco Giants and their AAA affiliate, the Sacramento Rivercats, moved back to Seattle, played for the Mariners again, got claimed by the Braves, played for the Braves and their AAA affiliate, the Gwinnett Stripers. Then from there, he was released by the Braves, signed with the Angels, got assigned to the Salt Lake Bees in AAA, then moved up to um, the Los Angeles Angels. And he did this all in one year. He played for four major league teams in 2022 and all four of their AAA affiliates. And then when it was all said and done, he was a free agent again and signed with the Mariners. And now he's back with their AAA team in 2023 um, as if nothing ever happened. And, um, you know, shout out to Paul Braverman, who uh, does, uh, you know, media relations with the Tacoma Rainiers. He suggested to me, you know, like Mike Ford is an interesting story. And I said, yeah, let's talk to Mike Ford. And, and I really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, you know, we talked to him before the game in an empty batting cage. And, um, you know, he was just really open, had a good sense of humor, um, just about living that that life, that, you know, on the fringe life um, as a baseball player. And, you know, he he laughed about it. He has some dark humor about it. But at the end of the day, he seemed to have a good attitude because, you know, he's playing baseball for a living and he's still getting major league opportunities. And, um, you know, it's better than just about anything else you could do. And I've always through my history as a baseball fan, like these kind of guys, these journeyman guys who um, are easy to not pay attention to if you're not really paying attention. But then once you do like, wow, moving around, bouncing around um, just basically any verb that can be assigned to a baseball transaction, you know, applied to Mike Ford at some point last year, optioned, assigned, recalled, activated, released, you know, et cetera, et cetera, just all through, all through. And then, he plays for four teams and four AAA affiliates, but there's also huge chunks of the season or small chunks throughout the season that add up to a huge chunk where he's just home in Tampa waiting for that next opportunity. So when you think about how long a minor league season is or a major league season, a professional baseball season, you know, think of it in the context of somebody like him and uh, got a story on him coming up on MILB.com. And, you know, I don't do a ton of player stuff, but that's what I've been focusing on right now from uh, my recent road trip because with players, I try to get those stories up as quick as I can because you never know where they're going to end up and you don't want the story to become <laughs> irrelevant. By the way, he is just annihilating uh, PCL pitching right now. 43 games so far this season, 298, 412, 583, his slash line, 995 OPS, 10 homers, 47 runs batted in. Uh, he's got 11 doubles. He's got a triple this year as well. It's been a good year to be Mike Ford. Yeah, he's doing well. And he, he told me that, like, you know, of course he wants to be back in the major leagues, but. You know, I think after all that movement last year and the season's still young, he could still have a lot of chapters left in this season. But to finally just be in the same place, um, you know, getting getting consistent reps in the same place, same ballparks, same coaching staff, same teammates, you know, I think means a lot. I mean, just think psychologically. He told me at one point last season, you know, he got traded to the Braves from the Mariners the first time he left the Mariners. And then he's facing Scherzer the next day, you know, with a new team. And it's just kind of like, here you go. And then plays a few games and then he's gone from them. And, you know, at one point he's getting uh, getting word that he's been traded to the Giants. And it's one in the morning in Tampa and he's on a flight, you know, early the next, you know, hours later to play a day game in San Francisco the next day. It's just it's a crazy life. Well, Ben, you continue your uh, player story uh like segment of the trip by talking to somebody in Vancouver whose last name is Spain. So you talk to them in Canada, you talk to Spain in Canada about something other than baseball, a sport other than baseball. How did that kind of come about? 
Yeah, it's again, you know, a lot of time I got to give credit to the media relations guys often often who are also the broadcasters like Tyler Zickel in Vancouver. Um, you know, great dude. Um, he was like, yeah, let's uh, you know what? Garrett Spain is an interesting guy. He's a member of the Vancouver Canadians, you know, who are the high A affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays. And Garrett Spain, you know, he grew up playing baseball, of course. He's now a professional baseball player. But his first love and the sport he paid the most attention to and played the most was hockey. So here's a guy who grew up in Clarksville, Tennessee, wanted nothing more than to be an NHL player. When push came to shove after, you know, competing, you know, in you know junior hockey, you know, in going on all sorts of tournaments and, you know, being a well-regarded guy, realized he might have more opportunities in baseball after all, which is probably a secondary sport. And now after all that, where is he? He's a guy who loved hockey in Tennessee, and now he's playing baseball professionally in Vancouver in the one city in all of Canada that has a affiliated professional baseball team. So, you know, talk about that disconnect to, to be a huge hockey guy in Tennessee and then now a baseball guy in Vancouver. You just never know how your life's going to end up. Um, yeah, working on a story on him that'll be up early next week and um, got stories uh, from all those locales uh, still to come. I just kind of cycle through once and cycle through again and get as much as I can going. The Ben's Bizbeat newsletter, I've been doing kind of old school blog style writing within them, really trying to add a lot of details just about what it's like to, uh, you know, be at, a ball, be at these ballparks for a night. Uh, and those stories are running on MILB.com as well. So trying to keep it diverse and uh, have a lot of content up there, a lot more still to come. And um, I can't believe I've been back from the road for a few weeks. I feel like, man, I'm just getting started with all this material. And now it's time to start thinking about, uh, you know, where I'm going next. Stressful, but it's a good kind of stress. All right, Ben. Well, uh, as we get to really, I mean, almost approaching the midway point of this season, what is next for you? We know the the on the road schedule is kind of fluid uh, at times because you've got the opportunity to jump out and hit some teams that are a little bit closer to home. What's next on the uh, the Ben's Biz globe trotting itinerary list? Couldn't come up with anything clever after globe trotting. Yeah, well, it is globe trotting, even though it's a portion of the globe that you know, it's, it's fairly concentrated in the United States and by fairly concentrated, I mean, 99% concentrated outside of the aforementioned Vancouver Canadians. Um, I'm heading to the South in mid June and we'll get into that in the near future, probably next week. Let's talk about that. But before that, this is not really a trip so much as a jaunt, just a one day trip from my home in Brooklyn, New York to, I'm always confused what town this team actually plays in Wappingers Falls. The Hudson Valley Renegades going to go there on June 3rd. Um, I'm way overdue to visit Hudson Valley, particularly given how relatively close it is to, to where I live. And um, so I was overdue for a trip there anyway, but this is a special day in Hudson Valley. They're playing as the apple cider donuts. So I figured if I'm going to go to Hudson Valley, might as well go on a special occasion. And we're going to see, I'm going to see the uh, debut of the Hudson Valley apple cider donuts and uh you know we talked about that identity when it was first announced this past fall and now i'm going to be at the ballpark and uh see what they do with it um i wanted to call that ballpark uh the dutch Dutchess stadium but it just changed its name it now has a corporate name um let's informally call it the dutch right now but uh, it's always the dutch to us yeah we'll get the t-shirt it's still the dutch to me <laughs> but no there is a new uh and you know shout out to them for the revenue that these corporate naming rights uh, deals brings. And that is very important, especially in the world of minor league baseball. To the extent that I feel to, I need the Heritage Financial Park, AKA the Dutch. I'll be there on June 3rd for 
apple cider donuts and uh looking forward to that this is actually the first time i've uh, talked about this publicly you know what a huge scoop for you guys yet again just getting the latest in ben's biz news uh, i hope you realize what a privileged privileged position you're in just to, to, to hear these words from my lips first it's an amazing thing well you can only imagine how hurt we would be if you told somebody else first ben. Yeah, that's the true. other side of that coin yeah true. ben and trying not to hurt feelings is really what motivates most of my life decisions because no one can ever be mad at me. Then I feel really bad. Same. I get that. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Hill, you can find on Twitter at Ben's Biz. He's on Instagram at the Ben's Biz. And of course, you can read the stuff at milb.com. And uh, thanks, Ben. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, and thank you, um, Sound. Thank you, Sound. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Here on the show before the show podcast, we are joined by Tyson Jeffers, general manager of the Hudson Valley Renegades, who on Tuesday, November 1st, unveiled a new alternate identity that will now uh, you know, be part of the team's uh, ballpark experience all season long. And four times this season, they are suiting up as the Hudson Valley Cider Donuts. So Tyson, thanks for being here to talk all about the uh, Hudson Valley Cider Donuts. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, well, it goes without saying that uh, food-related identities, alternate identities, have been a big thing in minor league baseball for a good seven or so years now. Uh, I believe this is the first one for the Renegades and first cider donuts identity, of course, uh, probably in professional sports history, I imagine. Um, tell us how this came about. What was the the process like in deciding you wanted to go this route and I know these things take take a long time from uh, first brainstorm to uh, finally getting out into the world. Yeah, so I think this one probably took longer than normal. COVID had some impact on that. So pre-COVID, and this is pre my tenure with the Renegades, um, even before I was general manager, uh, they started having these discussions, I think back in 2018, and they created some concept artwork that is a little rough, but it was like, it's still fun to look at. And that got pulled out. Um, I believe it was sometime during COVID when we got back into the offices, we started looking through files and we're like, Hey, we're going to need some stuff to spice things up once we get out of COVID and get back um, to real life and get into the season And 2021 came. And it just wasn't, it didn't feel like the right time because we were still impacted by COVID. So we, we kind of left it on the back burner for that season and then 2022 rolled around and we're like okay let's get serious about this and we we pulled it out we reached out to brandios who has done a fantastic job with a lot of other teams and doing alternate identities and started having the conversations with them and they started working with us on the design and the personality and all of the layers that go into it and we built what we have today which is dusty the cider donut um, hopefully I can send you guys images. If people haven't seen those, they can go to our website to, to check those out. But, um, 
yeah, we released it on Tuesday to a lot of fanfare. Um, definitely from people in the Hudson Valley that know what a cider donut is. I think there's people from around the country that are still learning what that is. So we're excited to tell that story. Yeah, definitely want to get into the imagery a little bit uh, shortly and uh, talk about Dusty, who appears someone has taken a bite out of him, which uh, seems might have been a little uh, troubling. It does seem dark. Than... Yeah, it does. It does we, seem dark we, for him. It's the beginning of the end. We <laughs> joke that uh, Dusty grew up on the streets, so <laughs> he's, he's been <laughs> through a little bit. <laughs> it's a tough world for a donut. But before we get into that, you know, when we're talking Hudson Valley Renegades, we're talking Hudson Valley, New York, um, you know, known for being a you know, a lot of natural beauty in the area, not too far from, you know, New York City. Take Metro North in that direction. Um, tell us about, you know, cider donuts in the region, you know, the places that do it well and, you know, why it is specific to Hudson Valley and and, and so special to, uh, you know, your team and your identity. Yeah, so the, the Hudson Valley, anyone that hasn't been up here, it's one of the most beautiful places during the fall. Uh, the changing of the colors when you see, a lot of pictures of kind of the most beautiful leaves and fall and the essence of fall. It's a lot of pictures probably from the Hudson Valley or up in this region. Um, so people love to get outdoors and do things outside before winter rolls in and never, we all get stuck inside. Um, and there's a lot of apple orchards. There's a lot of farms and farmland and they do a lot of things during the fall. And part of that process and part of that, I guess, the activities is uh is cider donuts and people go out they pick apples they go eat fresh cider donuts they eat they drink um hard cider in a cider site you know so there's a lot of stuff going on up here there's a lot of apple orchards that people frequent and um yeah yeah it's it's just one of those things that i think every region kind of has its own delicacies and this is one of those uh here in upstate new york now, Tyson, I got to ask you about the timing for not the release, but for the season. Uh, teams, you know, come up with different food identities, but they are not generally seasonal outside of baseball season. So you guys get kind of a, an autumnal themed thing uh, for a sport that's played in, in spring and summer mostly. But of course, now obviously goes a little bit later. Um, what is the plan for, you know, if it's uh, an alternate uniform day, but it's July and it's miserably hot? How are you bringing the... Uh, the apple cider donuts concept to a uh, a spring and summertime feel? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think all of us never want baseball to end. So we look at it as year round and anytime we can keep talking about it year round, um, it helps us. So hopefully this allows us to keep that conversation going through the, the off season. But during the season, as you said, like when it starts getting hot and people are like, oh man, I wish it would cool off. Um, we hope to bring that that feel into the ballpark. I mean, we're going to have cider donuts made fresh every single game from April 7th opening night to the end of the season in September. Um, so we're going to, we're going to bring that and, and you can eat cider donuts hot or cold. So even on a, a warm, warm day, you could eat a cold cider donut, drink some uh, cold hard cider and, uh, and enjoy it and cool off a little bit, but we're going to have uh, when we, change to the cider donuts for those four games we're gonna infuse the fall themes in different ways we're still planning those details out but we hope to have a lot of fun with that that theme that's what i was going to ask too is if you were going to have cider donuts available at cider donuts games but you're actually going to have them every day during the season every day so that's even more fun we're going to start 
pretty simple with just straight cider donuts, but hopefully it can evolve into more unique food options like a cider donuts hamburger. We haven't tested any of these, so I'm just spitballing. But, you know, Ben, I know you're into the food stuff, so maybe you can come up with some ideas on what we can create with a cider donut. Yeah, I'll start brainstorming right away, and I'm way overdue for the trip to Le- uh, Lehigh Valley. Jeez, that's overdue I am that I called it Lehigh Valley. I'm way overdue to come to Hudson Valley and uh, looking forward to uh, uh, seeing those cider donuts firsthand and having my designated eater gorge himself, you know, take, yeah. a, take a proverbial bite out of Dusty. <laughs> uh, Tyson, I wanted to just ask about the advertising for this, and, and you were talking about the look with Dusty and how you guys came up with that, and I'll touch on that here in a second, but just the ad you guys announced for this through, you know, announcing the hat and what it's going to look like, and it says it's cider season, it almost reminds me of kind of like an old school ad, almost like a sneaker ad that you might see from way back when. Just take us through the advertising for it and the look that you guys are promoting along with it. Yeah, and and we've kind of transitioned to the simplistic theme for our advertising, and that will carry on throughout this season. Um, some of that is in 2024 will be our 30th anniversary. So we're starting to line up um, a more simplistic and kind of retro look in a way. Um, it also allows us to showcase merchandise in a really clean fashion. I, I love it. When you look at that, you're like, oh man, that's it kind of takes people back, especially um, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s. It's kind of like that old school Nike ad that you'd see in like a sports illustrated magazine or something. So it allows us to um, simplify, simplify the the messaging, um, really highlight the big piece, like it's cider season and, and showcase that and then make the hat the focal point. We did that with a retro hat we did a couple weeks back too, and it got a ton of play. So we wanted to really do that and let the hat speak for itself. The colorways of the hat um, are pretty unique uh, when you look across the board at other minor league teams and then dusty and his look is uh is unique in its own way too and has a lot of different pieces to it so we wanted it we didn't want to clutter the stuff around it we wanted people to be really focused on um on the hat and the other merchandise we'll put out um here in the upcoming weeks Um, we want people to be able to focus on those yeah, and it definitely makes it easy to focus on this hat. Like you said, it is a little unique in that it's a, a green hat with an orange bill for a sport that's usually so dominated by red and blue. And there is some red in here um, between the apple ball that he's holding and the apple on the jug of cider. But you mentioned before that before COVID, this went through several iterations. Um, what are some of those iterations? Like what changes were made along the way to get to the dusty we all know and love now? The so. Dusty is, and when when you see him, he kind of has a little smirk, and you can kind of take it as he's like a little. I don't I don't know how to describe it, but he's it kind of looks deceivious in a way, like he's kind of running away from something, like he just stole that apple that he's carrying. But um, the first iterations were a little bit more cartoonish, I'd say, as far as like when you think of a kid's comic book or kid's like cartoon very loving and huggable type and i think dusty that we have today has a little bit more attitude and spunk and that kind of fits more with our personality as a team of being the renegades and our main mascot rascal like he's deceivious in his own way so we tied some of that the personalities of our 
our authentic brand into Dusty a little bit. Yeah, and uh, you know, you talked about the merchandise, um, and um, I know there's more to come, but I think I saw something on Twitter this week that one of the pieces of Hudson Valley Cider Donuts merchandise will be a uh, scented T-shirt. Is is that the case? Um, I feel like it's so hard to say this is a first in minor league baseball. I feel like maybe Lehigh Valley had some bacon scented T-shirts, but pretty rare. Um, you know, how did you kind of, I don't want to say stumble upon, but, you know, find out about that option and, and follow through with, uh, if not unprecedented, the very rare uh, scented minor league alternate identity T-shirt? Yeah, so Lehigh Valley has done that with their bacon bacon scented shirts and we're lucky enough to have um, Zach Bukowski on our staff. He is a product of Lehigh Valley. So I think as you guys know, minor league baseball teams are great at stealing ideas from other teams. And we knew they did it. We knew they've had a lot of success with it. And the people that we work with on our merchandising knew that that was an option. And they said, Hey, let's check into it and see if we can get an apple cinnamon smelling t-shirt and i think sweatshirt too so um those are pretty cool i we haven't gotten them in hand yet so i'm eager to see how pungent they are from a smell standpoint if you're just walking around and it smells like you've been sprayed with apple cinnamon but um i know that it lasts for like 25 washes which is pretty good so it will smell for a while um but yeah it's it's unique we want to have different things that go beyond just a standard t-shirt our whole goal is to make it more of an immersive experience from start to finish and and part of that is having unique items that we sell beyond just the traditional t-shirts or sweatshirts um and it goes all the way down into the packaging that we're going to deliver it in when people make online orders all right tyson well this is going to be the last one for me um being from the hudson valley and i you know i'm currently in arizona but i We'll be flying back to New York City on Monday. And one of my favorite things is always driving up there and, you know, stopping somewhere along the way for cider donuts. So do you have a favorite uh, spot around the area other than what you guys will be making yourselves at the Dutch every night next year? Where are the it, best cider donuts in the Hudson Valley? So one of our partners is Adams Fair Care Farm. So they have uh, different locations and they make some of the best cider donuts um around you can get those at their locations uh another one they're not a partner uh someone that we'd love to talk to angry orchard has a pretty big um uh i should say they have a lot of land they have their actual orchard up in this area and um when you go and tour that they have fresh cider donuts that they make right there on site um beyond the cider donuts the view and the the whole experience is pretty fantastic. So when you can get a good cider donut, plus uh, the views of the Hudson Valley, especially during the fall, it, it makes the experience way better. And to go back to uh, Dusty, I almost called him Busty. My goodness, I'm self-destructing today. To go back to Dusty uh, one last time, uh, we talked about him a little bit. Bit of a rough and tumble character, has a bite taken out of him. Um, obviously very prevalent in the branding of this alternate identity. But will we see Dusty in the flesh, so to speak, at the ballpark? Will there be a uh, life-size or larger-than-life-size cider donut uh, walking around the ballpark? Um, we have not pulled the trigger on that yet. That's something that we wanted to test the brand and make sure that it had the legs to sustain more than just a single 
iteration. So um, based on the start of this and the pace, it's going really well. So it's something that we're looking into right now on, on creating a more permanent fixture and character for our experience here at the ballpark because we will serve cider donuts all season long. So it's possible that we do introduce a, a life-size Dusty uh, in 2023, but um, I know for sure that we're already looking into it for 2024. So um, expect to probably see him at some point. I just don't know exactly when. Well, I hope this interview has uh, made you, the listener, hungry for some cider donuts and uh, can keep that up appetite in the baseball season four times uh, at the Dutch uh, in 2023, in addition to donuts every single day. So uh, unprecedented territory here for cider donuts and minor league baseball. Uh, Tyson Jeffers, general manager of the Hudson Valley Renegades and occasionally the Hudson Valley Cider Donuts. Uh, thanks so much for joining the show before the show podcast. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was fun. Well, our uh, fearless Sam Dykstra has returned from the wilds and is back in his uh, his civilized form. Um, although the beard still looks fantastic from your your journey through the wilderness. Uh, not really the wilderness. He went to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, awesome town. I've only been to Louisville once. Fantastic place. Didn't get a chance to, to catch a bats game. I was not there during baseball season, but super cool place. Uh, you got a chance to not only catch some bats action, but to talk with maybe the most talented prospect in all minor league baseball right now. And Ellie De La Cruz, I had an international league, uh, broadcaster text me the other day and say like, Ellie De La Cruz looks like he was created in a baseball lab. Like he is just the perfect baseball player. You got to talk to him, uh, got to do some other exploration, of Louisville, what's going on in that Reds organization right now. Uh, but tell us about Ellie De La Cruz. You got a piece up at the site uh, about him, a guy who has just exploded onto the scene this year. Yeah, uh, you know, I, that was part of my goal to go last week to Louisville is to catch Ellie De La Cruz while he's in AAA. I mean, that's it feels like the Reds could call him up at any moment at this point. I, If I had to guess, I would say by mid-June, but certainly by the All-Star break, we saw what they did with Matt McClain, who got off to a great start. Somebody they pushed aggressively from double A to triple A because he didn't have a great double A year last year. Clearly made some adjustments. Now he's in Cincinnati. Feels like Ellie De La Cruz is going to follow him at some point. Um, the big thing for him now is just getting a lot of reps at shortstop after he moved between short and third and also improving his play discipline. And I'll get into that in a second. But you're right. I mean, he he is very much kind of like of the O'Neill Cruz uh, mold. That's his Biggest comp in the game right now is just a super tall shortstop. He's a little bit shorter than O'Neill Cruz, but has a heck of an arm. I mean, you could put an 80 grade on it, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree. Uh, he's had multiple throws at 99 miles an hour. We know he can hit the ball incredibly hard. He had one game in which he hit the ball at 116 miles an hour three times in one game, which no team has ever done in the StatCast ever, StatCast era, never mind an individual player. So, Giancarlo Stanton's never done that. Aaron Judge has never done that. Shohei Otani's never done that. Ellie De La Cruz did it for Louisville. Um, so the power is there. And it just felt like everybody had an Ellie De La Cruz story. Everybody's got to have some moment where their jaw just hit the floor. And I'm sure that happens like on a daily basis with him. But what what were the stories that stood out? So that's what I kind of wanted to get into when I went down there. And I just got, got some really good ones. And it was really funny how it worked out because it was basically like the cycle. You know, I asked uh, Andrew Abbott, who we'll talk about in a little bit, 
what is your favorite Ellie De La Cruz story? He told me about a time in Chattanooga where Ellie hit a 512-foot home run. According to TrackMan, that's not just like somebody estimating. That's according to the data, it was 512 feet, which would be the longest home run uh, in baseball since the StatCast era began if it was measured by StatCast. He told the story about how like everybody in both dugouts, it wasn't just the, the lookouts dugout, Everybody in both dugouts immediately ran to the computers to see how far it went because they were so enthused by it. Chucky that Robinson, awesome. That's yeah, awesome. it was. It must have been some scene, and you could just see his eyes light up as he's telling the story. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you heard last week if you listened to the show, Chucky Robinson talk about Ellie De La Cruz having a triple uh, in Iowa, in which he made it to third base in 11.9 seconds, and it didn't look like he was running. It looked like he was jogging. A lot of that has to do with his huge frame. I mean, just watching him run, it feels like it takes him like five strides to get to first base. Yeah, he's he's like an NBA big man where it's like, oh, you, yeah, you take five steps and you're all the way down the floor. That's yeah, that but, is him running the bases. But that's the thing is that you watch NBA. I mean, you watch college basketball big men all the time, and those guys are slow moving. It takes them a right. while to True. get up to speed, and he has that for sure. But like when he's at his top speed, he's moving in a freakish way. Um, so it's, it was good to hear that side from the speed side. And then his manager, Pat Kelly, told me a story of how his first triple A hit was a bouncing ball that went through the infield. And you think, oh, great. That's nice. He got his first hit. It just squeaked past second baseman. Cool. He looked up. He was on second base. Like he was pushing the envelope in his first triple A hit. It wasn't just like, oh, that's good. I have it on my ledger. Like, that's great. So everybody had these stories of what Ellie De La Cruz already was in the minor leagues. And as we try to figure out who he can be, uh, the thing that stood out to me was he was starting to walk more. Uh, he was just taking his walks. And, and that was the biggest question for us when we were making the top 100, especially in our most recent update, is Ellie De La Cruz has struck out 30% of the time pretty much everywhere he's been. And that's only going to get worse in the major leagues unless he really changed his approach. So talking to him, he was like, yeah, I mean, I just have realized they're throwing me a lot of breaking balls in the dirt. And that's what I'm swinging at. And I really need to work hard on stopping to do that. So as I dug into the data, he had. I mean, his chase rate is now above average. It's it's better than uh, what major league average would be. Now, how is that going to translate when he goes up against major league arms? We'll see. But I think you could certainly make a case that he's the number one overall prospect in the game right now. We had those conversations when we were doing it. It was just, what is the bat going to be? And if the bat's as good as it's been lately, like, this, the ceiling on him is indescribable. It's insanely good. Uh, so I'm really enthused to see what he can do, how he can expand this out over a larger sample. Um, but he's coming, Cincinnati. He's coming quick. And, and when he does, he's kind of the franchise cornerstone that you're going to build around. And hopefully those sunnier times, you know, they have some pieces in place now with Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green and Graham Ashcraft and the rotation. But Ellie De La Cruz is going to be the center of your lineup for a long time coming. Man, and not only that, but like Noel V. Marte is on the way. Edwin Arroyo right. is on the way. Like they've got, they got a lot uh, in in progress uh, on the way to Cincinnati. And I know there have not been a whole lot of fun seasons there as of late, but we've seen what Cincinnati is like when that team wins uh, and when they are successful. And it's one of the great baseball cities uh, in America. And uh, really excited to see. What's up next for the uh, for the Cincinnati Reds? What else stood out uh, from Louisville? I know you've got uh, you've got another piece uh, coming to the site as of uh, today, actually, which is going to be uh, more pitching focused. Give us the the breakdown on that, and what else what else do you like about Louisville? What was I want to know? Like you know, 
What, did you go on the bourbon trail? Did you have good food? What was the story? Yeah, I'll, I'll get into that in a second, okay. but I, I do want to touch on Andrew Abbott real quick. Um, we have a pitching lab story out from him now, and he was one of the more fascinating guys I wanted to dig into for this series because he had been pitching at Double H Chattanooga to begin the year and had been absolutely shoving there. I mean, multiple starts with 10-plus strikeouts. Um, and he's somebody who we knew coming into the year had a pretty good fastball, had a really good curveball, had a slider that he developed at the tail end of last year. So the pitches were there. It's just like, what can he do to take that to the next level? And the way he was getting whiffs, I mean, he was, as we're talking here today, he's leading the minor leagues in strikeouts and strikeout percentage. So it was like, what changed? I wanted to talk to him about it. But at AA Chattanooga in the Southern League, they're using the pre-tacked ball. Now, Tyler, you have some experience witnessing that. Pre-tacked balls are what they're using internationally now. Yeah. In international play. What what has been the reaction when you've seen that? Over you know, it's interesting because every player that I've talked to, pitchers especially, about the international pre-tack balls, they love them. And, and players raved about them during the Tokyo Olympic Games uh, a couple of summers ago. It's very successful. But I know the situation in the Southern League has been a little bit different this year, and it's not the same baseball. It's a it's a different style of pre-tacking and all that. Uh, but there's been a lot of conversation about like, oh, well, uh, hit batsmen way up. Command is is off for a lot of pitchers. Guys aren't really getting a feel for stuff uh, with this pre-tack ball as of yet. So there obviously are some tweaks that are going to, to need to be made. But it is interesting because comparing it to the international reaction, players love that pre-tack ball. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing is that I think part of this is just like going through a, a transition takes time. And I'm not saying this yeah, ball is like yeah, the I ball that they true. should use. I, I think part of this is trying to find what's the right level of tack. But talking to Andrew Abbott, he's like, listen, this is greater for pitchers because the rise on his fastball, he was up to like 21 inches of vertical or inverted vertical break. So the ball was and his average normally was around 16 to 18. So we're adding like at most five inches of rise on your fastball, which is nuts. Yeah, that's which, a like, lot of movement. It's a lot of movement or lack of movement in that way because you're right. What it or means lack is of like movement. you expect a ball to move to drop a certain way, and it doesn't. Uh, so you're thinking it's going to be down here, but it's actually up here. You think it's rising, but it doesn't. That's not how physics work. Anyway, the so by doing that, and his best thing about his fastball has always been his ability to pitch up in the zone. Now he's doing that even better. That's where those strikeouts were coming. So now he's in AAA, using a more normal ball, a major league ball. Uh, how is his stuff playing? He said it's back closer to that 16-18 range, but he's still getting whiffs on the fastball. Uh, he's getting whiffs on the, the curveball. The slider's working pretty well, and the changeup's working well because all of his stuff is going in different directions, and that's huge. You got the fastball that has rise on it. You have the curveball that's basically going down, straight down. You have the slider that's breaking to his right, about 15 inches. And then you have the changeup that is breaking to his left. Not breaking, but is, you know, has arm side run to, to his left at 15 inches. So if he's throwing a slider or a changeup, and this is what he said, there's like 30 inches difference in which ways they're ending up. And if you're not catching on to that, you're swinging and missing. Yeah, that's crazy. And he's got four good pitches doing that. So it's not just a case of, hey, this guy shoved at, at double A and that's all he's going to ever be. Uh, even as we're speaking now, I think he's got a one hitter going through four innings for Louisville with multiple strikeouts again. So you want to look at who the Reds hope to be and want to be. Yeah, Ellie De La Cruz is coming. Noelle Marte is coming. Christian Encarnacion Strand, who we haven't talked about yet. 
who's at Louisville as well. He could be a foundational piece for them. They have the bats coming. They already kind of have the arms in that rotation. But if you add Abbott next to Lodolo and Green and Ashcraft, and those guys are all going to be there for a long time coming, that's how you build a contender. That's how you kind of get to where the Baltimore Orioles are right now. Um, I know the Orioles haven't invested in pitching in the way they maybe a lot of teams would have hoped or a lot of players or fans would have hoped. Uh, but they have Grayson Rodriguez there. They have D.L. Hall there. They have something to add to the mix. And, and Andrew Abbott can certainly be that for the Reds. And pretty soon, I, I think he's getting to the point where, just like Ellie De La Cruz, at least by the All-Star break, he should be seeing the majors. That story just went up on the site, uh, literally as we were talking, by the way. So you can go to MLB Pipeline and read that right now. And uh, all right, what were the other non-baseball highlights, Sam? Yeah, I... Not that I you had like, a ton of time. It's not like it's just like thing. a vacation for Sam, but I know that's the thing is that I came back and a lot of people were asking, so what did you do? What did you do? And I'm like, honestly, I went to the ballpark two days and spent a lot of my time there. And I, I, I will say, you know, Louisville Slugger Field is a, is a nice place. Uh, you can tell people really take pride in it. I really love the way they took over an old train station and it made that part of the concourse. So it really feels like you know, I always have this feeling of train station. You're going on a journey, right? That's the whole point. You're going somewhere. It's the start of your journey. So you're walking through that as you go into the ballpark. It just adds a little extra feeling. Like I'm going to go on a baseball journey here. Uh, so I like the way they did that. Um, I stayed right in downtown Louisville. There's tons to do around there. Uh, I was staying basically right next to the convention center. And you can tell they've done a really good job of like building up that area to if conventions are in town. There's tons of bars. There's tons of restaurants. Um, I went for a nice run in which I ran to Indiana, which sounds crazy. It was a four mile run. Yeah. But it's uh, just over the bridge. It's a long bridge though, right? It I, uh, yeah. It was like, okay. you know. Well, that's true. You have actual rivers out there. Bridges, <laughs> you know, bridges in the West are like, oh, it's like a 30 foot bridge out there. It's like a, half a mile straight across this river. I know. Yeah. It, it was like a New York style bridge. It was like a long, it felt like going over the Manhattan bridge. We'll you went to way. New Albany. I went to New Albany, which yes, is the town right across the river, which is awesome. Super cool little town. Uh, that whole area is great. If you have a chance to to drive through, uh, you know, if you've never been to Louisville and uh, you've got an opportunity to go catch a bats game, it's just a really cool area. One thing I will say is they do a really good job of celebrating their native sons and daughters. Like they have signs up everywhere. I don't know if this was there last time you were there, Tyler, but it just said like Louisville's Ali. That's cool. Louisville's. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, like that's she's from cool. there, and all these people like maybe I, I forgot heard Jennifer of, but... Lawrence is from there. Yeah, I do yeah. remember that there was. Uh, I saw something there that was in honor of Jennifer Lawrence, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and uh, actually, a good friend of mine from college went to elementary school with her, which is a very funny story. Uh, that's he like has the thickest our, uh, like, Kentucky accent, and that... she does not, so it's very funny to me. Our good pal Josh Jackson, who just like let it slip one day uh, that he went to. Um, to high school, I believe, with Anna Kendrick. Josh, just like we were, just like talking one day, and Josh was like, "Oh yeah, I do. I was, you know, I was on the crew. She was in the play." It's like, wait a minute, Anna Kendrick, like that Anna Kendrick, you went to high school with her, and he just—it was like five years into our friendship, he just dropped that nugget. 
that also makes his main sound so much smaller. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, which is very funny because it's always like the joke about New Yorkers or you know East Coasters. They'll meet somebody who's from like a Western part of the country. Be like, oh, you're from Montana. I know a guy from Montana. You must know him. And that's never the case. But with Maine, it's like, yeah, kinda. Like, oh yeah, Anna Kendrick, <laughs> she's from Maine. Like you went to high school with her. Okay, that's, uh, of that's course, cool. obviously, right. <laughs> Stephen King, Josh is, you know, I'm assuming good friends. With I'm sure they're pen pals. They write each other all the time. Uh, but no, they, Louisville does a really good job. And that, that's like beyond just like the Colonel Sandersness of it. Yeah, that's cool. All that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I highly recommend going to a, a Bats game if you're ever in the area. They do a good job. And it's a fun team to watch right now. Get there yeah, while you can before absolutely. you guys get called up. Um, but I, I'm a big fan of downtown ballparks that you can walk to. Yeah. You know, so yeah, walking from my hotel well. to the 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 park every day was a big plus for me. I also am a big fan of the Louisville Bats Twitter bio, which is quote the most appropriately named team in professional sports. <laughs> and they're not. It wrong. is. They yeah, did a really good wrong. job at naming that team. And they did. Although they, I will say that Twitter account got a little bit of hot water yesterday. I don't know if you heard about this, Tyler. I did not. So out of nowhere, I mean, not out of nowhere. They don't really need an excuse, but they tweeted a picture of Ellie De La Cruz. Okay. Just like looking happy, playing baseball, happy to be out there, but no caption, nothing going on. <laughs> Very shortly afterwards, they tweet a picture of the lineup. Ellie De La Cruz is not in the lineup. Oh, no. All of Southwest Ohio is freaking out and just being like, so why would they do this? I'm now why looking at the dare? tweets. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it was just a day off. Guy needed a day off. They were traveling to Syracuse. You know, they have a day off on Monday. They wanted to give him a little extra breather. He's literally playing as we speak. So Bats, he's not getting called. Up, this morning, the Bats posted a fake movie poster titled Ellie De La Cruz's Day Off, One Man's Quest for the Big Leagues. <laughs> and the tweet is, from the Twitter timeline to the silver screen, we won't play with your heartstrings again, Bats fans. <laughs> it's just, you know, oh, as always, be careful with what you tweet. <laughs> <laughs> that is very good stuff. Um, so you can read uh, Sam's coverage, of course, at uh, MLB Pipeline. And uh, speaking of our good friend and Anna Kendrick's good friend, Josh Jackson, he stops by the show with Ghost of the Miners coming up next. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson welcome back to ghosts of the miners in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair one has a history you can bite into the others will leave you hungry in the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Corning Independents. B. The Killeen Individualists. C. The Medford Mavericks. You're not one to follow the crowd if you picked A. The Corning Independents, who stood out on their own in the Pony League of 1953. If you remember episode 368 of the show before the show, you might think the singular independents have you seeing double, or hearing double. Although the independents were one of a kind, we're throwing a backdoor breaking ball by revisiting them to explore their affiliated antecedents and descendants. Yes, this episode is secretly all about the Corning Dependents. 
As you'll recall, the independents, lowly loners of the Crystal City in upstate New York, took their name for that 53 campaign after the end of their working agreement with the Philadelphia Athletics. So, what's new? In 51, that working agreement was, and it brought the miners to Corning for the very first time. Corning's A's were introduced as a colorful replacement for the dearly departed Lockport Reds, making their home in War Memorial Stadium, a multi-purpose athletic facility constructed in the optimistic year of 1948. The Bradford Era, local paper of the Pony League's Bradford Phillies, described the ballpark as beautiful and one of the finest parks in the low minors, noting ample parking on site as well as a grandstand and office setup that exceeds many others in many respects. The product on the field, though, exceeded hardly anybody in any respect. Player manager Erwin Hall, who'd seen over 500 big league games as a middle infielder for the Athletics in the middle 40s, hit bottom with last place Corning in the club's inaugural campaign. They were 45 and 81. Well, there was always next year. Except in 52, the team was 53 and 71 under skipper Joe Rollo, and at that point, Philadelphia decided there would not be a next year for the Corning A's. Despite the Independents' unique lousiness in 53, the Red Sox partnered with Corning, which took the new parent club's name and the Pony League crown in 54. They played well the next two seasons, too, and drew well enough to move over to the New York Penn League when the Pony League collapsed after the 56 season. The Boston-Corning connection continued, with the 59 club going as far as calling itself the Core Sox. In the fall of 1960, though, the Red Sox announced they were moving their Pony League affiliation 70 miles west to the town of Olean. And that's how the independents became too reliant. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these teams tried to get some giggles in the miners of yesteryear? A. The Hutchinson Larks. B. The Norman Gags. C. The Wigwam Jokers. Want to know the answer? Lighten up. Or tune into the next Ghost of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is shopping for fruit, and I'm afraid he's going to buy a lemon. Josh Jackson, your friend and ours, the legend of Ghost of the Miners. These fans, they just can't can't get enough of them. Listen to this, listen to this crowd. Listen to the ovation. Josh, it's like a weekly. They're getting so loud. David, hear me over them. This is reminding me of the uh, Cannes Film Festival, and we're where it's down. always like recorded later. Oh, they got a six-minute standing ovation. What does that mean? <laughs> so now, uh, fans listening to Ghost is just going to try to deem like how good we think Ghost was that week. Basically, one one week, I'm just going to add the the audio of the crowd for like an hour and forty five minutes. <laughs> It'll just be Josh ends, and these these vaudevillian fans will will never sit down. Um. But that brings us to our final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. We had a lengthy uh, off mic, well, just off air discussion about these headphones that send sound through your 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 skull brain bones. The that's I think the technical term. Um, that all sounds wild, and uh, we're we're now going to start a band called the Bone Conductors, 
And that's going to be very exciting. Um, but we're also going to tell you what to watch on MILB.TV this week, as well as a promotion to look out for. And we're going to kick things off on the promo side. Ben, what is the most uh, thrilling promotion or the thing that you're most excited about this week? Obviously, other than the cider donuts, which I really want. I might need to figure out a way to have you guys ship me a box of cider donuts. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, what's coming up this weekend you're most hyped for? Yeah, Cider Donuts is actually two weekends from now, which I had to be reminded of just a few minutes ago by you guys. It's very hard to uh, <laughs> keep track of things during this uh, most busy time of year. Uh, but coming up this weekend, I believe actually debuting uh, Thursday, the day this podcast drops, and then continuing through the weekend is something I think we've talked about before. But again, there's so much going on. I can't remember what I've talked about in what forum. But regardless, the Springfield Cardinals, Springfield, Missouri, Ozark region. They don't play in Texas, but double A Texas league. They are doing what I believe is their first uh, full blown alternate identity. It's a food related alternate identity. And I liked it immediately because this is why I like food related alternate identities when it's something that I had no idea about until the minor league team announced it. And that is the Springfield Cardinals are making their debut May 25th and through the weekend as the Springfield, man, if I've really hyped this up, I mean, I'm sure everyone's at the edge of their seat, Springfield cashew chickens, you know, like the Chinese style cashew, cashew chicken dish, um, allegedly, apparently, certainly originated in Springfield, Missouri, 60 years ago, a chef named uh, David Leong, L-E-O-N-G, invented cashew chicken, you know, fried chicken, a savory sauce, roasted cashews, green onions, and it's a uh, big deal in Springfield. Of course, you can still get it at the original restaurant where it was invented, Lodo's, many decades ago. And I think now there's other uh, Springfield restaurants that do it too because it's a Springfield thing. And that is, of course, Springfield, Missouri, not any of the other many, many Springfields out there. And so they're playing as the cashew chickens, um, you know, really cool identity. And they, of course, are selling cashew chicken at the ballpark as a concession item dish so that is a unique thing as well so interested to see how that looks on the field uh interested to see how the cashew chicken concession stand uh how that does the concession stand and uh props props to the springfield cardinals you know they um you know they play in a region filled with cardinals fans and are generally a little bit more of a conservative operation promotionally so kudos to them for jumping on board the alternate identity train and becoming the cashew chickens. I'm kind of surprised to learn that cashew chickens only been around for like 60 years. That's pretty cool. I yeah, it is really cool. I imagine in the history of the human race, someone added cashews to chicken probably more than 60 years ago, but could be in terms of it really becoming a a thing. Standardized thing. Yeah. Springfield, Missouri. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Not a guess, Springfield, Missouri either. There are some very interesting um the the histories the stories of uh especially like with with chinese american food or americanized chinese food i remember there was a documentary on netflix i watched several years ago called searching for general so which was about like was there an actual general so how did the name become used for that dish general so's chicken it was a restaurant on the upper east side of new york that i think first pioneered it and then there was like a competition or like uh you know like a bragging rights sort of deal between like was it this restaurant or that restaurant so there's some cool stories there and and kudos to springfield for jumping on something that's so local and uh and you know is a very cool and unique thing for that market yeah absolutely and yeah there's stories behind the story behind the story i yeah. mean 
you go into like who was the chef who invented it like why did he end up in springfield missouri yeah um 60 years ago what is his story i'd love just to trace these things back so there's always always paths to explore that is pretty cool all right sam what are you watching on milb.tv this week we got a lot of good matchups what are you uh tuned into yeah i mean as always uh trying to push you guys you listeners i should say uh to the free games that we have uh available through mlb pipeline and the mlb.com homepage. uh you'll be able to watch this series for free on sunday uh it's at a 7:05 p.m eastern start on sunday it's norfolk against memphis norfolk it might have like one of the most loaded lineups in all of the minor leagues that entire team i believe leads the minor leagues in run differential uh, they were essentially like the minor league version of the Rays for a while there. I know the Rangers have actually caught up to the Rays and run differential in the majors. Anyways, besides the point, they're a very loaded lineup. Uh, Jordan Westberg is there. Connor Norby is there. Colton Kowser currently on the IL, but ha- has gotten off to a really solid start. So that Norfolk team is one you're going to want to watch. But also on the other side, of course, with Memphis, Jordan Walker, who's still our number one overall prospect over at MLB Pipeline, hit a home run the other day that was vintage. Jordan Walker was hit hard. He lifted it well. Uh, I think he's starting to come around. Big thing for him is getting the ball off the ground. Uh, that would, Even when he was hitting well in St. Louis, it was hard hit balls that were hit right into the dirt and squeaking through the infield. So the more he elevates, the closer he's going to get back to the bigs. That was good to see the other night. And Mason Wynn is also there. He's somebody could be an option for the Cardinals in the second half. We know about his 80-grade arm. Uh, the offense has been there in fits and starts to begin the year. Uh, but he could be an option for St. Louis as well. He's our number 38 overall prospect. So multiple top 100 guys in that game on Sunday. That'll be again at 7.05. Make sure you tune in for free. You don't need a subscription. You can watch it for free on the MLB.com slash pipeline homepage or either the Orioles or Cardinals sites. Tyler, what do you got your eye on? Yeah, I am going to bandwagon jump onto the guy who everybody is talking about right now in minor league baseball, and that is Ellie De La Cruz, uh, the place from which Sam just returned, Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. Although the uh, the Louisville Bats uh, will be taking on the Syracuse Mets this week, and uh, so not exactly a strictly Louisville-focused pick, but Ellie De La Cruz, who has been a phenom as of yet, uh, he'll be going up against another top 100 prospect in uh, in our MLB pipeline rankings of Ronnie Mauricio and the New York Mets organization. That series is this weekend as well. You can catch all of that at MILB.TV. And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. For Benjamin Hill, Sam Dykstra, Josh Jackson, and all the rest, my name is Tyler Mon. We'll catch you next week.